electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Good Tuesday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer, David Faber, coming to you live from separate locations. Pre-market adding to gains following Monday's upside reversal on some optimism about the country's efforts to reopen. Busy Tuesday with ISM services in an hour. We'll get Disney tonight. Watch the move in oil. Uh, hits 23, up four days in a row, more than doubling in a week, Jim. Uh, the president now tweeting about demand uh, slowly returning as we do get more headlines about uh, various states uh, making plans to start really at the end of the week. Well, look, I, I think that when you go over what some of the states are doing, they can open, but it's very difficult. I'm going to talk about this now, man, money. Some of the rules in some of the states are very hardcore for small business. And when you look at them, you start thinking, well, PPP versus, geez, those are the rules. And we, you know, we took some PPP before we're seeing it. And I think that it's not going to be uh, nearly as easy as people think. I, I do wonder if, we, if our show were located in Austin, whether we wouldn't be saying, oh, those crazy New Yorkers. Uh, but we live here. Uh, we live in New Jersey. And I think that it's going to be a little bit uh, more difficult for companies to stay in business unless they have great balance sheets. Uh, and are able to ride the waves. Look at Norwegian Cruise. Jeez, that is an incredibly well-run company. I know it's not a city, but it's actually a city on, on a, a foreign flag city in the, in, in, on the ocean. But I see situations like that where I just say, okay, be careful. Uh, it's not all roses when you're opening. Right. I mean, there's additional headlines, which we'll get to this morning about pending layoffs, reportedly pending layoffs for the airlines in October. Uh, obviously, bankruptcy news, whether it's uh, Hertz or any a few other right. companies now. But the market's looking past a lot of that. Well, look, I think that the market, there is a level of optimism about the opening uh, that's justified from the point of view until you hear something bad. We're OK. I, I think that when you look at the projections, that we're getting about what's going to happen in June, or when you look at the incredible interview with Dr. Fauci in the National Geographic, you, you, you really want to just say, you know what, do some selling into this rally. Uh, I am a huge believer in, in Dr. Fauci, and you either believe in him or not at this point, but the National Geographic article is a must-read for everyone because it really says that the fall is going to be packed with punch. And if that's the case, yeah, look, you, know, you get a big, big run, we can continue to run a little bit. I don't know. Mike Wilson was just talking about uh, uh, a terrific run here. I think in retrospect, you can look at it that you came back from this 18,000 Dow level. But don't get too cute. Uh, don't get too cute because uh, I think Fauci's for real. And if Fauci's for real, the opening's going to go OK initially. And then we see. And I want to see. Uh, I don't want to I look at it, the Atlantic equities piece today. It says Wells Fargo's got to cut its dividend and it sends a chill through my spine because I lived through that already with 2007, 2009. So uh, don't be cocky. Uh, get rid of this. Uh, tr- trim the stocks that are really dangerous here because there's a real have have not. Uh, I'm not saying you got to go sell Regeneron here, uh, but I do think that you have to sell some of the cyclicals, at least well, anybody with a bad balance sheet. 
I know a lot of people want to sell Disney. Disney. David Disney they want to sell. Disney. Yeah. Well, we've talked about it, and it's, you know, we've been talking about it for weeks. It's been getting a great deal of attention, I think, over the last couple of days with the downgrade yesterday from Moffat, Moffat Nathanson, a New York Times piece sort of outlining all the challenges of the company. Ooh. Lightshed, Rich Greenfield, who hasn't been a big fan for a while, also downgrading today. Sure, uh, Disney is, I mean, listen, we said this, I think we said this weeks ago, as, as Disney goes, so goes the country to a certain extent, Jim, and, you know, in terms of their ability to reopen the the theme parks in a significant way, the challenges they're going to be facing. Obviously, when we talk about media companies, the advertising um, in terms of where that is gone, what's going, the willingness of companies to spend there. We've talked a lot about ESPN. I mean, you know, you go through the portfolio and you obviously do hit a lot of different um, significant impediments to them being able to put up anything remotely close to the numbers that they once did, and perhaps for some time, not to mention a leadership change uh, right. not that long ago. Mr. Iger does remain, of course, executive chairman. But, you know, Jim, when we talk about the fall, it's interesting. It'll be here. Well, a lot of us can't wait for it to come because we just, you know, there's so much uncertainty. You want to know what it holds. But it doesn't appear to me, though, that there's going to be a willingness to close again. So we sort of are going to reopen, aren't we, Jim, and then just take what comes Including right. what, unfortunately, may be a lot of a lot of death. Well, I think there's. Wow. Um, well, there's. A, I think that they want to spend. People want to spend, uh, and they want to spend wisely. Uh, look at the Wayfair number. Initially, the stock was down twelve, and then the call they're talking about repeat customers. People want to spend. People want to go places. I'm just trying to figure out whether to go to Home Depot to forget my plants this weekend. But the line is so long at Home Depot that, and it's not. They don't do the kind of spacing I'd like. Uh, that I don't know if I want to go. I mean, the, there is such demand out there. Plus, you got your money. Uh, so there's a lot of stimulus, and it, that can work. Uh, I don't think you necessarily, and Warren Buffett was talking about, you don't invest for the next two, you know, couple of years. I'm thinking about just be careful between now and the summer that you don't want. I, did, I, I like the summer. It's usually a pretty good time. But then again, you don't like people. It's a yes. great time to get together around the barbecue. You know, and you use the circles, David. You know, you, the circle, it's kind of yes. like a... Uh, uh, M. Schmalian movie, you know. But I I do think that I just want to be a little careful because everyone's so bullish. Look, I got a bull, bull, but I mean, unless you're working in China. I mean, China, I got two notes today. China, DuPont, fabulous China. Skyworks Solution, fabulous China. Did the China, Joe and Lai win in the end here? It's like a Mao celebration for heaven's sake. Sorry. A little off key. Yeah, maybe so. (laughs) I mean, Carl, the U.S. Treasury is going to be selling, what is it, $3 trillion worth of, uh, worth of, uh, of, yes. of treasuries, of bonds to finance what we've been doing here. I think it's the uh, six times as much as we ever have sold in a, in a, in a quarter. Ooh. In a quarter. So uh, $3 trillion in Q2, uh, which, which will bring the year to 4.5, which is three times last year. So an enormous uh, treasury issuance. Uh, Jim, to your point, we're going to rely heavily on Polling data, really. Axios has a, a poll out today. Percentage who viewed attending a gathering of friends and family outside the house as a large risk, 36 percent, right. down from 53 three weeks ago. Oh. Um, and even Kevin, even Kevin Johnson uh, told us on this very show of Starbucks uh, a few days ago uh, about the uh, effort to reopen stores and the degree to which consumers will feel comfortable returning. Here's what he said. They want to know that whatever they're going to go do 
is not going to contribute to the further spread of the virus and they don't want to get sick. So they want something that's safe. So they want to go someplace that's trusted, someplace that's familiar and someplace that's convenient. And that is exactly what we are enabling, an experience that is oriented towards a safe, familiar, convenient experience for our customers. And as we do that, we know that they will show up. Fabulous. We've got a story on our website, Jim. I'm sorry. uh, That 85%, 85% of company owned uh, will be open by the end of the week. Yeah, there's a great note that went out to the partners yesterday from Starbucks that I got from Kevin. And I mean, they're talking about the, the protocols, what they need. I think they're going to do this. Uh, they, look, they can do contactless. They can do stores, whole stores where you don't need cash. And a lot of my friends don't want to touch cash uh, because cash is COVID. I mean, everything's COVID. Uh, and, and I do feel that the one thing that he has, and David, you know this is the case, all right? He's got a rock-solid balance sheet. So everybody who goes under, yep. who's a small business person, he can put a Starbucks. And it can be a walk-through Starbucks, for heaven's sake. So I think that Starbucks, uh, my Chapel Trust owns it. And, hey, listen, I owned Tyson yesterday. Woo. Uh, but my Chapel Trust owns it. And I just think Starbucks is really terrific because you got to see who has the balance sheet. If they've got the balance sheet, um, they can clean up because a lot of people – uh, are now looking at what the rules are, small business rules, and they're saying, hey, listen, I give up. So those could be potential Starbucks. Interesting. Yeah. Um, well, listen, we've said balance sheet is everything in this period. It will right. continue to be those companies that are able to, uh, well, to raise liquidity or to maintain sig- significant amounts of cash and continue to make investments are clearly in a far better position we talk, We haven't actually talked as often, guys, about the bankruptcies that are occurring, whether it was J. Crew, whether it's we talked about Hertz's difficulty. They did push that out again today uh, in an 8K. Now talking about uh, May 20th, I believe it was, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of at least sort of giving them a little bit more time, a couple of more weeks to try to see what they can do uh, at that company. Neiman Marcus were awaiting a potential uh, bankruptcy there as well as been reported by many. Um, deals that have fallen apart, uh, you know, again, uh, interesting that Sycamore L brands deal, they were suing each other and then they just mutually consented to separate part ways. Uh, and, um, nobody paid anybody. Sycamore did not have to pay at all. That was somewhat surprising, but perhaps spoke to a stronger case than many of us thought that they had there. But I guess balance sheet, if you're in decent shape, you're going to be able to look to the future. And if you aren't, you are just focused so squarely on seeing whatever it is you can do and whatever levers you can pull to live another day. Yeah. And look, I think it's pretty simple. The guys who do have the balance sheet, they're investable. I mean, they could be investable to the point where you might say uh, that when the smoke clears, they're all that's left. I, mean, I think that you got to start thinking like that. When you look at Home Depot and what a juggernaut it is, uh, only Lowe's can really compete against them. Some people would say Walmart. I don't think so. Uh, but there are a lot of companies in the hardware business, and they don't have the credit. I mean, look, then there are whole industries. I've been trying to figure out how one of my favorite companies is Planet Fitness. I'm trying to figure out how does Planet Fitness survive? Now, of course, everyone's going to say it can survive. Uh, my family goes to Lifetime Fitness. Oh, they'll survive. I mean, and no one's going to say, well, I can't survive because that's you know, fool's, fool's gold. But, but Planet Fitness, again, I mean, congregation, crowd, any company that needs a crowd. And Planet Fitness is a great right. company. And people have, you know, people have these fabulous franchises. But if you need a crowd... Well, the government may not let you have a crowd or the CDC. I mean, the CDC didn't have any problem with Tyson. 
So maybe the CDC, there's new like franchises of the CDC. They maybe they sold the CDC. Did they, you know, you can buy a CDC franchise, David. Would you like to? You, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, it's yeah. I, I, those are two. Those are three letters that we haven't heard that often. At What's least that? in terms of trying to direct our nation's response to this virus, CDC. What? Um, are you going to take a summer, David? Or are you just going to go right to fall? Yeah. Go buy a CDC franchise. They're better than you think. You can go be, I'll let you be the Midwest distributor. Give me the franchise. (laughs) Jim, we're going to get to a bunch of the names you mentioned, including a call on Tyson today. We'll also talk about Pfizer as they start dosing their first U.S. participants in a vaccine trial, uh, hopping onto what they've already done in Germany. Meg Terrell will join us on that in just a few moments. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Squawk on the Street. It is an experimental vaccine that would, of course, treat the coronavirus. Pfizer, uh, in uh, conjunction with uh, another partner, moving into human trials. Let's get to Meg Terrell and learn whether and how far along this is uh, at this point. Meg. Hi, David. Well, Pfizer and its German partner, BioNTech, have started dosing the first participants in their U.S. trials of their potential COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, Now they're taking four different vaccine candidates into the clinic to try to find the best candidate to prevent this disease. This is the same technology that Moderna is using called messenger RNA, and they're going to be dosing up to 360 healthy subjects in this U.S. trial. And of course, the trial in Germany began April 23rd. Uh, Now, Pfizer and BioNTech are not the first companies to get into human testing with a vaccine candidate, but Pfizer is the biggest company. And they are starting to talk about massive numbers of manufacturing that they're already preparing now. Uh, Pfizer says it could have uh, millions of doses uh, available this year and hundreds of millions uh, of doses available next year if all goes well. And they are detailing multiple sites in the U.S. uh, as well as in Europe where they'll be doing that manufacturing. Uh, Now, these kinds of timelines we're talking about here are faster than anything in history. Uh, And we talked with Pfizer's chief scientific officer, Dr. Michael Dolston, this morning about how they plan to be uh, sure about the safety and efficacy of this vaccine. Here's what he said. We think that we will have uh, several thousand, three, four thousand participants and uh, people at risk for the disease dosed in, uh, as we come to October, and we think if you combine that with the preclinical studies, that it has the potential to show good safety and uh, probability of effectiveness in humans through early data. So, guys, we're talking about just five months from now having that data where they might apply for emergency use authorization. That is just record speed. And you're going to have to watch this and other programs very closely. Back over to you. Thanks, Meg. But can I just quickly ask you, I had Emergent Bio one last night. Uh, they're doing the same thing with Johnson & Johnson. And again, front-loading things. Be ready. Uh, you know, have plants ready to make hundreds of millions of doses. Highly unusual, right, to be uh, ki- at the same time parallel track, to be building the factories or have the factories while you're working on something that may not even work out, Meg? 
Yes, the kind of investment that's going in now at risk is something we've never seen before. But of course, all of these companies and researchers want to be ready if they are successful in this vaccine development uh, to then have the vaccine ready to go. It's yet another challenge we're going to see down the line is just manufacturing this at large enough scale to serve all of the people who would need a vaccine like this. Meg, it's David. You know, uh, again, just to try and put it in some perspective, we talk about how quickly it's all uh, moving. These are human trials. These are just for trying to establish safety. And as you said, even figure out which compounds may be uh, safest and potentially down the road most effective. But what are they telling you in terms of their hopes for actually having something in hand that they could manufacture at scale? Well, uh, they do expect that by October they will have these millions of doses ready so that when they get those results and those thousands of patients that Dr. Dolston was talking about, um, they'll potentially be able to seek that kind of emergency authorization uh, to consider being able to use in the highest risk groups. Now, that is extremely fast. I mean, the fastest vaccine development we've ever seen in history was for mumps in the 1960s. So these kinds of timelines, a lot of people don't believe that they will be possible, uh, but they are the timelines that the drug companies are shooting for right now. I'm glad you mentioned that. It was mumps. It was in four years. It was record. No one could believe they solved mumps. Uh, obviously, polio took much longer. Everything's taking much longer, so be incredible. What do you think of the uh, Regeneron release where they talked about the novel SARS-CoV-2 antibody cocktail advancing rapidly, which could be maybe something used with remdesivir? Not bad. Uh, yeah, and actually, I was just listening to the Regeneron call this morning, Jim. They had earnings this morning. Uh, George Ancopoulos, the chief scientific officer, saying they set a record with their Ebola program, uh, that antibody program, the same technology they're using now of getting from the beginning of the program into human trials in nine months. They aim to break that record uh, with SARS-CoV-2 antibody drugs uh, in five months and to start those human trials in June. And that Ebola program was proven to work in a clinical trial in the Democratic Republic of Congo. And that drug is now being reviewed by the FDA. So there is a lot of hope for the Regeneron program, for sure. Yeah, look, a lot of good monoclonal antibody news. you got some vaccine news. I mean, look, vaccine or else. Uh, Let's not kid each other. Vaccine or else we're just building portfolios of Baxter and Amazon. And I think that's what really matters. People have to recognize that vaccines, everything to make this so that we really have a good economy. All right. Well, uh, Meg, appreciate you keeping us up on all. Sorry, go ahead. (laughs) No, that's all right. Finish up. I was just going to say, you know, there has been some discussion of what happens if we're not successful in developing a vaccine or if it takes longer. So that is something we need to consider. Science is complicated. It's difficult. We all hope that these timelines will be real, but everything will have to go right and go right the first time for us to get this vaccine so quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Meg, thank you. Uh, We look forward to your future reporting as well. Meg Terrell on the uh, efforts, of course, the various efforts being made uh, most prominently right now, at least by Pfizer this morning, uh, in terms of developing a vaccine. We're going to have a market open about uh, nine minutes or so from now. We are looking higher this morning, and uh, we will also have a mad dash before we get to that market open after this. 
CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Some optimism about America's plan to reopen state by state after yesterday's uh, upside reversal. Futures are green. We'll get ISM services today. Bullard and Bostic at 2 o'clock. Disney tonight. Busy Tuesday as Squawk on the Street continues after a short break. Welcome back to Squawk on the Street. It's a bite-sized company now at about a $32 billion market value. DuPont, Jim, is the focus of your mad dash. Well, this is the Ed Breen DuPont. And I think a lot of people were betting on when Ed came back that it could really turn around. And I think it is. Uh, Electronics and imaging. This is a 5G play and a cell phone play and a China play. And the business is incredibly strong, much stronger than people realize China has come back. This nutrition and bioscience is right up your alley, David. You know, they're doing this deal with IFF. And it's going to produce a $7 billion dividend for them and create a really great company that a lot of people are going to like. Transportation industrial, uh, hobbled by auto. But safety and construction, they did a lot of Tyvek uh, PPE, Tyvek gowns, and gave a lot away. Uh, But uh, this is a good story now. And it was was something that was an afterthought. Like you said, they made it bite-sized. But it's a good story. And I think that anyone who really is just wants to be an industrial, I'm not crazy about the industrials. You might want to take a look at that. I mean, I see a lot of industrials being down and out still. Caterpillar. Uh, we're going to talk about Raytheon uh, soon. I, I, I just don't particularly like the group, but I do like what Ed's doing with DuPont. Interesting. You know, on industrials, Jim, I don't know if you've been hearing this, but, uh, you know, I, those who have a factory floor, who have an assembly line, and are dealing with the new realities of social distancing, uh, not to mention problems in supply chains, because that has become also an issue, I think. I don't know what you're hearing, but just keeping workers six feet away from each other and maintaining some level of efficiency is not the easiest thing to do. No, I mean, this is one thing that people have to understand. Uh, there is no issue at Facebook about social distancing. There's no assembly line. Assembly line, the productivity is going to be hurt so badly by honest social distancing. Yeah, look, I've got to tell you, I mean, Tice was on yesterday. Who knows what kind of distancing they were? I'd really like to have some. We need some tape of what went on there. But when you look at Baxter raising the dividend by 11 percent, there's no social distancing. And social distancing is going to be the answer to uh, why you have to sell certain stocks. I mean, what is going to happen on a cruise line? I mean, there's a GQ article out right. about Carnival. And you know, the idea of Carnival is you, you get together, you meet, you do things together. It's fun. I mean, I, I, togetherness kills. I mean, that's what we think now. I mean, I want to see my wife this weekend. I haven't seen her in a while. And I don't know. I mean, the N95, what do you think, the N95, David? Was that the good one? To see her? To, can I, I use one of those paper can. ones? This is a 3M and an A5. This is going to be great for Mother's Day. This is a Mother's Day bonanza. And I got one for her. We'll wear his and hers, N95. Tough to come by. That's very romantic. It, That's David, very romantic. David, my whole relationship's romantic, so why shouldn't this be the same on Mother's Day? Based it's, on uh, this, David. It's nothing says love like an N95 mask, I think. I think that oh really is a true statement. And you yeah. can't get any Hallmark cards that does it. Thank you, David. No, I think that I think that should be it. You know, speaking of, of course, travel as you are in terms of uh, cruises and the like, I, uh, and there's the opening bell, Carl. Let's, let's get to that. 
Yep, guys, uh, at the big board, it's Kevin McSpeeden, assistant chief electrician. At the NASDAQ, it's uh, ringing the bell remotely. It's Blackbaud, a cloud software company serving nonprofits. Uh, really quick, Jim, uh, to your point about higher cost structures because of safety, uh, that's right in line with this Tyson downgrade out of B of A today. Yeah. Higher worker comp. Because you gotta, you gotta pay these people to come into what is a hazardous job. Uh, higher safety costs, obviously, just the, uh, PPE costs, the testing costs, and then inefficiencies that come from social distancing. I mean, on a cruise, it's not an inefficiency, so to speak, but certainly if you're trying to debone uh, beef right. or pork, it is. Well, I mean, I, I know I spoke with yep. Tyson, and Tyson would tell you they're doing everything right, and, uh, they obviously people go to Tyson and they may get COVID from their community. And there's lots of different reasons why uh, you may not be able to make it safe. But the, the issue for me is if to make it safe, you kill the profitability. And if you're investing in something, you don't want to sit there and think, OK, how dangerous is the company I'm investing in to its employees? I keep coming back to the haves and have nots, these companies that are just doing so well because there's really no danger. And then there are these companies where it's like hidden danger, where you realize, wait a second, it's a franchise-based company. I mean, not, not Tyson, but there's a lot of companies like this. A franchise-based company where the franchisees rely on bank financing, and suddenly the bank isn't really interested in extending, or they can't cover their costs because they're closed. And you've got this really bad chain of events that's going to occur for a substantial part of the S&P. And then there's another part that is just, just fantastic. Uh, so, uh, particularly because remember, we're not trading taco stands. Uh, there is uh, just to me a lot of upside in some companies and a lot of downside in others, and it's very difficult to bottom fish. Yeah. Listen, a lot of companies are struggling with how to figure out again how to maintain efficiency in their business with with while keeping workers apart and right. You know, particularly on that is on the assembly line. If it's a company that puts things together, uh, it's just very difficult to have people six feet apart and maintain any level of efficiency that they may have, uh, may have had. For, you know, you, maybe you can do three feet, but can you do three feet? Is that allowed or no, does it have to be six, be six feet? You can't do three. Some people feel it's got to be 13. Take a look at Ford. I don't know if you saw Mark Fields this morning listening to, uh, to Phil yeah. LeBeau. They're, they're selling a huge amount of trucks, but then he tells you they're financing. And they're giving them away. Someone might like the stock at five, thinking this is Robin, one of the top five stocks that traded on Robinhood. But I come back and I say balance sheet, balance sheet, balance sheet. And I just I look at Apple raising money for next to nothing. And I say, well, that's there's a company. The quarter was OK. And they got five, five G coming up. I want to be in that. I want to be in Microsoft. I want to buy those even right here. And then I look at the companies with assembly lines. And I say, well, I. I Wow. I mean, if I came in there, if we had a real OSHA and you went in there, maybe OSHA gets some backbone. It's not possible. It's not possible to run well, there's it the that, way it is. And there's that, Jim. And there's the there's the supply production component. And, David, some of these Hertz headlines uh, does not believes it will not need to acquire new vehicles for its fleet for the remainder of 2020. I mean, you take out fleet sales from some of the big OEMs. Uh, you're going to notice. Yeah, you're talking about half a million vehicles there, I think, at Hertz, uh, which we have been talking about for a number of weeks now, of course, as the company continues to try to figure out its options uh, for uh, creating more liquidity. Uh, it already has um, 
a lot of indebtedness that is backed up by the used cars uh, and or its car fleet. But as the price of used cars has come down, that has created more problems for Hertz, which does, again, have a significant amount of indebtedness. This morning from an 8K, guys, they say the, uh, quote, the forbearances and waivers described below, and that's in the 8K, provide Hertz with additional time through May 22nd. Earlier, I'd said May 20th incorrectly. May 22nd, so we're talking a few weeks, to engage in discussions with key shareholders, uh, excuse me, stakeholders, with the goal to develop a financing strategy and structure that better reflects the economic impact of the COVID-19 global pandemic and the company's ongoing operating and financing requirements. Um, yeah, Carl, they're not going to be able to, they're not going to buy any more cars. The question is whether they can get enough money to continue just to operate as they are right now because their business has basically been shut down as a result of uh, the lack of any travel going on in the United States right now, business, pleasure, or anything else in between. Uh, Carl Icahn, obviously a very large shareholder there. The company has suffered from a, a revolving door in terms of management, and that has not helped it either. Uh, its competitors, Avis uh, and Enterprise, the private enterprise, which is larger than both of them now, is the largest rental company in the country, not easy times, but not having quite uh, as difficult to go of it as Hertz is. Incredible. How quickly some of these companies just got hammered. I know Norwegian's holding in there and do an equity deal, but I, I think that it's just breathtaking to see what, what happened with travel and leisure. And I keep going back to that Becky Quick interview with Warren Buffett. And he bailed on those airlines. Travel and leisure uh, versus Internet advertising. Doing great versus the Internet. Fabulous. Versus staying home and ordering furniture. Great. And suddenly everyone likes the oils because the analysts can't resist. They have to recommend them. They just, they just, you know, <laughs> once it's, these are, these are roach motels. Uh, some of them well run roach motels. And if you really need to own an oil, just buy Chevron. If you have to buy one, just go buy it. They had a great quarter. Okay. I mean, if you just can't, just itching and itching, don't go buy bottom fish. Buy Chevron. Why not buy the best? Leave the raggedy others to the rest. David. Right. Uh, Jim, what about a REIT? Would you buy a REIT? Uh, Vernado like reported this, yesterday. I, I like this Alexandria REIT. 53% of their retail, 53% of their retail uh, tenants paid rent in April. Don't Hallelujah. know what it's going to be for May. 90% of their of their commercial uh, tenants paid paid rent in April. <laughs> Unbelievable. I like uh, Alexandria Real Estate, which is a company that's levered to biotech and to drugs. Uh, Moderna is a big client. Uh, that I like. Those guys can do it. Um, I'm surprised, Dave, you didn't bring up your uh, the big deal in your world, the huge deal. Yes. Portola. Yes. We had a, an actual transaction, an actual deal. Uh, as you say, uh, Portola Pharmaceuticals, uh, $1.4 billion. Alexion is buying that company. It's 18 bucks a share. Take a look at the uh, take a look at the premium. It is the likes of which we've seen in the past to a certain extent for companies like this uh, or at least companies that are. Um, and in this case, it's blood uh, cancers. I mean, 129% jump in the stock price uh, and a deal, which, of course, the likes of which we have not seen and we will not see many. Uh, most of what is going on right now in terms of advisory work from whether they're bankers or lawyers has to do with restructuring uh, and things of that nature. Um, perhaps at some point we will see a wave of consolidation once there is a little more clarity in terms of the, the future. As I've said, you know, you need to have a plan in place if you're going to be doing a significant deal. You need to sort of have 
if you're a CEO, a real sense as to the next year or two. And that's difficult to have right now. Not to mention if it's two CEOs who don't know each other and aren't near each other physically in some fashion to have seen each other previously or sit outdoors maybe yeah. to have a, a cocktail or, yeah. or lunch. It's very difficult. Deals require still CEOs to come together and meet. And it's not an easy environment in which to make that happen. But you know what? It, it is yeah. interesting. Uh, Alan, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Carl. No, I was going to say Alan Patrikoff was telling us on the 11 a.m. Uh, last week or two that they have invested in some companies in which they don't expect to meet the CEO probably uh, for several months. But the other thing I was going to mention, uh, David and Jim, was it's not as large, but Intel buying this uh, urban mobility app for $900 million is a headline about Microsoft investing in Poland. I mean, it's pretty thin gruel, but it is something. No, I mean, NVIDIA bought a software company. NVIDIA just is red hot as, as ever. I mean, NVIDIA is as if there's nothing going on other than happy days because it's levered all the right markets, a data center to gaming, advanced micro making it come back. I wish they they would do a merger to broaden their port product portfolio now that Lisa Sue's fixed the balance sheet. There's just so much that is good that is totally mystifying to the person at home trying to figure out, like, how is it possible that it's millions and millions of unemployed people and uh, and thousands of bankruptcies, but maybe hundreds of thousands of bankruptcies. But I come back and I say, well, NVIDIA's levered to gaming. That's what you do when you don't have anything to do. You know, these companies are levered to things that are the new world. Amazon, I mean, what are they doing wrong? Nothing. So then what yeah. explains Tesla, Jim? Uh, this uh, six-month average market cap now exceeds $100 billion. It's going to trigger all those tranches for Elon's payday that we've talked about for so long. Congratulations to him, by the way, on his new baby. Uh, but up 4% this morning. Well, look, there are real animal spirits there. I mean, people know that it's back. Someone called me yesterday, wanted me to, uh, on the lightning round, wanted me to recommend or say uh, about a solar company. I said, just go buy Tesla. Uh, the, uh, the German factory, I think, is going to be very big. I think China's really back, so Tesla will sell a lot in China. And remember, they don't need to advertise. I mean, I keep coming back to, like, what is the, the corporate structure of the regular auto company is so bad versus his company? He was right. The leverage is huge because there's really nothing other than the, of love. There's just love of the car. And you love the car, you love the stock. That's something Jim Stewart said a long time ago, uh, 500 points ago. And I continue to think it's, it's going to go much higher. I mean, I, I started liking him in November uh, in 200s and 300s when I realized, okay, can't fight, the, can't fight the tape here. I mean, the car's too great. And I think anyone who's just in, driving the car and loving the car says, oh, all right, I'll be... Yeah, for 700 bucks, I want to be in it. Or they buy a fractional share at Robinhood. And this is loved. It's a loved company by young people. And young people are investing because they're not just sitting there and taking. They, they, yes, they're defaulting on their student loans and they're taking their time. You get a little, a little leeway late in the student loans. But they want to buy stocks. And it's beholden upon yeah. us to say, OK, look, you want stocks. Here's the companies that are doing great. And Tesla's doing great. They are. I mean, how's they cleared the bombs in the German, right, in the German field? They got the trees. They got the people who didn't want them to cut the trees. They're okay. They're appeased. And they don't build a factory, what, in 10 months? I mean, the guy's unbelievable. I mean, he's unbelievable. There's there's him and everybody else. uh, Yeah, uh, it's got 146 billion reasons why, right? $146 billion market cap, Carl. Stock up 
89% this year. I do wonder, though, when he collects this compensation, which is, as you point out, so closely tied to the increase in the stock price, um, he's not, he, he says he's swearing off all worldly possessions, isn't he, basically? So <laughs> I'd be curious to see what he chooses to do with that money. He's different. Different yeah, that's guy. true. Uh, second day in a row, we've talked about uh, Gene Wilder's house, guys. <laughs> um, so yeah, the Nasdaq is about a percent and a half away from going green for the year. Uh, let's get cow. to Bob Asani this morning. Holy hey, Bob. Uh, happy Tuesday, everybody. Yeah, it's the reopening rally. We fight about it every day. Um, is it going to be better than expected? Not uh, in the last two days. Uh, it's better than expected. That's what the markets are telling us. Take a look at the sectors here. Energy. We're in a breakout on energy. I know that sounds ridiculous, but we are. Oil's up five days in a row. The XLE, the XOP, they're all on the verge of breaking out. I know. Crazy, right? Uh, Jets, uh, the airline ETF, also rebounding after a terrible day yesterday. Banks, retail, uh, all up. There's your rebound rally. And consumer staples are lagging. I'll point out, like, the Kroger's and the Campbell's of the world, they have been sideways for a while. Consumer staples, uh, after that big rally a month ago, they're no longer market leaders. Uh, at least so far. Where are we in the markets right now? I'm calling it in the zone. I think that's a fair characterization of it. So the S&P is in a 100-point trading range, either side of 2,800 uh, or so. Volatility, the VIX is kind of stuck in the mid-30s for the last few weeks. I'm talking about a three-week range now. Volume, I'll tell you, noticeably is dropping off. We had one of the lightest volume days of the year yesterday, and it's been dropping off for several weeks now. I want to remind everyone, every day, companies are pulling guidance. We put the list up, uh, AIG, Texas Roadhouse today. Uh, U.S. Foods pulling guidance, and uh, uh, that makes it very difficult for companies to figure out exactly uh, what the correct multiple is for many of these companies. Probably the biggest problem facing the markets. There's a little bit of good news. The IPO market is slowly opening up. Uh, that's very good news. We're waiting for one on the NASDAQ. This is today, uh, GAN Limited. This is an internet gambling software provider. Their biggest customer is uh, FanDuel, the fantasy sports site. They upsized this. They priced it at the high end of the range, 850. Uh, that's good. A lot of interest in online sports gambling. That should be this morning on the NASDAQ, 10, 11 o'clock in the morning. Keep an eye on that. And then on Thursday, uh, a China IPO. Who would have thought? King South Claw. Uh, Kingsoft Cloud, excuse me, a China internet cloud service provider. They're called the largest independent cloud provider in China. Uh, this is the first China IPO since Luck and Coffee and all the problems they had. Also the first since the SEC specifically warned investors, this was about a week ago, that China's bookkeeping standards leave a lot to be desired. They said they carried a substantially greater risk that disclosures would be inadequate or misleading. That's the SEC on this. That should be Thursday. We'll keep an eye on that. Finally, guys, May 6, 2010. It's the 10th anniversary of the flash crash. Remember that one? We had, of course, a thousand point drop in the Dow in minutes, came back. Uh, causes are debated, but a couple of good things came out of this. Biggest one is Reg SCI. The SEC basically required all the exchanges to regularly test and update their trading technology. I think this was a major reason why we did not have any crashes during all of this crazy volatility in the last few months. The whole, All the systems have been tested and upgraded more regularly. That's been a big help. We did have that consolidated audit trail. That's still being tested, this massive database to be able to trace everything. But that still not being fully implemented. Ten years, Carl, since the flash crash. Back to you. Yeah, Bob, we were just uh, some people on Twitter were reflecting, Jim, on where we all were on that day uh, 10 years ago. Uh, you with Aaron on set, uh, P&G, the whole thing. 
Well, I mean, it came out and I said, I still don't like, you know, these levels are too high. These levels are too No, I don't want to buy P&G. And then I, like I said, Jesus, getting attractive. And, and at 340, I said, you got to buy P&G? <laughs> I mean, it went from, went from 90 <laughs> to 45 for heaven's sake. I said 50 bid for 50. I mean, it was just a nutty day. And, and we were running pictures of some riot in Europe. But the fact was, as Bob said, it was the machines didn't work. And so you had companies that were cut in half that were giving a once-in-a-lifetime bargain. A lot of people bought P&G on that. Uh, and I think that it's important to remember that that was one of those days that actually turned a lot of people off to the stock market because people just said, if you can lose that money that fast, I want another asset. It brought a lot of money out of the market. There's, uh, yeah. there's just these events that have just made people feel terribly about owning these paper assets. Just terrible. Like David, the one thing we haven't gotten to yet is uh, the evolution of the WeWork saga uh, as Adam Ooh. Newman now sues SoftBank. Yeah, uh, you know, it was a $3 billion tender that SoftBank and the Vision Fund was supposed to have taken place, of course, as part of what they say was the overall agreement when SoftBank took control of WeWork. Remember, they pulled out of that as we had reported they would. They did. They've already been sued previously by the special committee for WeWork, right? So the separate, the special committee representing uh, the non-SoftBank uh, owners uh, of the company. Uh, but now Adam Newman himself also suing, saying we had a deal under which I was giving up control, giving up my uh, management, uh, and in return, SoftBank, you were going to buy $3 billion of WeWork. You were going to tender for it from existing shareholders, including, of course, Mr. Newman himself, at what a price I think they said was at least nineteen nineteen per share. Remember, this was not a public company, of course, as everybody well knows. Um, WeWork's business, guys, as we might imagine, is going to have very a very difficult time. It was going to be difficult enough without a recession, a significant recession, where so many of its tenants, small, medium-sized businesses, for example, are, are not following through on their leases. They have the leases in turn with some of the bigger uh, owners of buildings. Does WeWork? And the question then becomes, how much is WeWork paying or not paying to those landlords? Um, and how are they going to Adopt. You know, we were talking earlier, Jim, about an assembly line. If you're WeWork, where you had a lot of people in these facilities, you've now got to adapt a very different approach in terms of um, social distancing and giving people more space in these in these facilities if and when you can even start getting them back in, which remains elusive, one would uh, obviously say, in cities like New York and London, where they are the largest single tenant. Well, you've got to go back to the Zoom economy. I mean, here we go. Uh, people want the companies are all so proud that they got everybody uh, to work at home. I have Chegg on tonight, an amazing quarter, uh, quarter, and they are very proud. Dan Rosenzweig, listen, we got everyone at home. I mean, if everyone can work at home and you can do a number like Chegg, then why do you need WeWork? And unless you're just a startup, and if you're a startup and you take off, well, you got to move out. So I mean, I think that yeah, David, the world has changed because of how easy it is to work at home and how safe it is. And I think that if it's not safe, people don't want to gamble. They want to they want to do takeout. They want to do contactless. The people are not you know, people. Sure, the economy's opening, but it's opening a little more smartly than I think people think. Unless you're a Yahoo and just deciding, you know what? I think all these rules are wrong, and the state doesn't come down on you. Yeah, Carl Chegg is up twenty five percent. Amazing that stock. Well, yeah. it's like people aren't going back to school, right? Yeah. It's an online university. No, 
It is. It is. And, it's and Dan Rosenzweig said, "Listen, college is not a bargain." Well, at eighty thousand a year, it's really not a bargain. I'd feel terribly if I had a kid going to school in the fall, like an expensive school up in New England. I would just be horrified. <clears throat> David, mm, yeah, no, thanks. it's it's amazing, thanks. guys. No. How how some of these models. Like Chegg and Peloton, another one where uh, they were established in a different world, and yet the whole world has changed uh, right in their direction. You've uh, got to buy to Peloton. Um, you have to. My wife is going to take off the laundry because the gym is closed. <laughs> I mean, you know, these things just locked. They locked into it. I had, I had two different people this morning tell me they couldn't talk to me because they were on their darn Peloton. There you go. Two. They like, they come on. Like, maybe they don't like you. Yeah, well, that, I, let's you get know. to Rick Santelli <laughs> with with ISM on the way. Good morning, Rick. Ah, yes, ISM on the way. And quickly, uh, we just had the April final reads on the market service PMI. It went from a preliminary of 27 to a final read of 26.7. The composite went from 27.4 preliminary read to 27. These are really young indices, only several years old. But those are the lowest levels on their record. And if we look at what's going on with interest rates, uh, the curve on the long end is really starting to act a little alive. I know the Fed's buying a lot less with regard to QE. Look at the 10 years for two weeks, 67 basis points. We're knocking on the door. If we get through there, look for rates to go higher. The third year is actually leading the curve. And to that end, let's look at the note over bond spread. If you look at it just since... April uh, 22nd, you can see it's been inching up. It's now 66 basis points, and you zoom wider. That's the widest they've been in three years. So what we want to pay attention to is the flattening starts with the long, short end moving to the long end. Steepening's moving from the longest maturity down. We want to pay attention to that. And finally, the dollar index. Yes, it's in somewhat of a range between 99 and 100, but if you look at this mid-March chart, each successive low after that big high is higher, so we're continuing to look for a firming dollar index. Carl, Jim, David, back to you. And in Chicago, we're looking more forward to pedaling a real bike in real landscape. (laughs) Rick, we'll see in a little bit. Uh, Rick Santelli. We'll take a break here. Uh, Obviously, uh, all but one Dow component uh, are in the green. NASDAQ needs 128 more points from here to go positive for 2020. We're back in a minute. Later on this morning, Shake Shack's Randy Garuti on the quarter and uh, indications that they they do see some stabilization in their business. In the meantime, uh, we're close to session highs here as the market's got a nice run out of the gate on this Tuesday. Don't go away. It's time for Jim and Stop Trading. Look, I think there are a lot of stocks that are going up because of momentum, but one that is going up because they are playing offense is a Skyworks Solutions, SWKS. Uh, this is Liam Griffin. He has done a remarkable job. He also preserved the balance sheet. But what they're doing, they have all sorts of different applications. Uh, they, they do the Zoom generation. But what I like about this, and I think that the most bullish case that you can make for this market, is they are for the 5G company. They are the best play on 5G. And don't forget, they wouldn't have these kinds of orders. You know, this is something you can't get from, from anyone. But if Apple weren't building 5G, I just have to presuppose because they're in a lot of Apple. Uh, but that's very, very bullish. And 5G is something that is an unstoppable force. Clearly that even COVID cannot stop 5G, particularly those of us who are in our Zoom boozy brunches. I mean, 5G would make it so that Zoom looks like, well, it looks like, I don't know, TV. <laughs> right. Zoom we is really weird. Like- Jim, it gives us a... 
I was going to say, we didn't really mention, you know, Apple, nearly $200 billion in cash, files oh. this week to raise another $8.5 billion. <clears throat> Is that all about buybacks and dividends? Yeah. I mean, some people felt, some analysts felt that they didn't announce a buy, enough of a buyback. You know, that was a great conference call. And it was really an abomination that people hated it. I mean, it was just unbelievably good. And you know, I always say own Apple, don't trade it. But the analysts who were not liking it, I think they looked at the stock as, ooh, the stock is down. I better see something negative. Wow. It was fantastic that they were able to do that with this quarter. And the service revenues were great. The balance sheet's unbelievable. All the different accoutrements are great. And they didn't have any retail. And it was still good. Not many companies can do that. But there's just a lot of people who just don't get that 5G is around the corner and that Apple's going to be playing big. Hmm. Hasn't uh, had a three-handle since March, March 4th. We'll watch that. That's a and then Chegg tonight? I got Massimo. That's the company that makes the uh, pulse oximeter, which is the most important thing in the world when you're trying to – of the devices you can have besides the thermometer. Chegg, we talked about that. That's online. Uh, Everbridge is one of these companies. another COVID company. Like you want to know where your employees are. You want to blast out that things are wrong. Something that Mark Benioff talked about yesterday. You use them. I, I'm trying to do companies that are not benefiting off of COVID, but happen to be in a situation where their products are selling well because of COVID. Because no one's trying to benefit right. off of COVID, including, by the way, the vaccine companies and the Pfizer's. You buy yeah. Pfizer, Pfizer would give it away. They want to be, they're good, well, they want to give it away. You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.